This Ends at Prom is a critical analysis show and is being produced in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. The podcast you're about to hear was produced during the strikes, and without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the movie being reviewed here wouldn't exist. For more information, feel free to visit the Freelance Solidarity Project at freelancesolidarity.org. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Are you there, God? It's us. This ends at prom. That was a very clever way of opening this. Thank you. It's, it was so obvious and it didn't even occur to me. Like, oh, that's totally how we should do the intro. I mean, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's only thematically appropriate. Yeah. Though I think we've been fairly sacrilegious and would be smote if God was aware of our presence. This is very true. We are not big fans of the G.O.D. on this podcast. We are We are pretty okay with um, people who, who need the G-O-D in their lives. That's fine. That's 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 your relationship, not ours. We're fuck, okay with that. Fuck, man, I'm going to be able to just sit here and be like Rachel McAdams in this movie and be like, listen, I have issues with Christianity because I grew up Christian. Yes, exactly. So like, <laughs> you know, that's, I guess, my adult story to unpack, but still. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we finally figured that this would be the time to talk about the film adaptation of Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. It finally became available on VOD because no one really went and saw this in theaters. That is the biggest tragedy of this is the people who saw it were like, it's really nice. And like full grown men were like, I'm really emotional watching this. And yeah, nobody saw it. Yep, nobody saw it. And it's a real shame, especially because it was written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, who you may or may not know from the film Edge of 17, another show that we will definitely be doing on the podcast at some point. But this one just felt appropriate. It it felt like a nice warm hug. We've done, you know, some really kind of cheesy and saccharine films. We've done some really intense films. We had a very intense conversation on the Patreon last month. We wanted to do something just nice. Yeah. Which like I think that this is one of those interesting movies to talk about because in terms of coming of age and like kind of what we do on this show here, we obviously have skewed a little younger in mm-hmm. the last month because we did both Matilda and The Parent Trap. Mm-hmm. But like being 11, 12 years old, you're not a teenager yet, but God, if it isn't the most coming of age thing, it's like, I got my period, everything has changed. <laughs> yeah, for real. And not only that, but Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret is obviously based on this book of the same name by Judy Bloom, and that book came out in 1970. So this story has been a 
pretty seminal coming of age tale for a lot of people for generations. Um, and that is really beautiful to me is to know that there are just generations of people who are all learning about themselves, their bodies, the world, all from this same source material, not to say that it's universal, but that it is extremely common still even to this day. And that just gives me all the warm fuzzies. How about that, Judy? Oh, Judy. I love Judy so much. We will definitely be talking about Judy. Um, but Harmony, my first question for you is what was your knowledge of just the idea of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I thought it was the period book. Mm -hmm. well, that's the only thing anybody ever talks about when they bring up this book. It's like, oh, it's a book about periods. And it's really not a book about periods. Mm -hmm. Um I think that that is – so after we watched this movie, we also watched the Judy Bloom Forever documentary. Yes. And apparently this is just what Judy deals with her with her whole career where there'll be like one page or like a paragraph that mentions something and people go, this is just what the book's about. Yeah, Denny's the masturbation book even though it's really not. It's about a girl's scoliosis. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that's just – you know, the classic conservative narrative of picking and choosing what you want to be pissed off about. Mm -hmm. But um, – yeah, no, this isn't just a book about periods. It's quite a bit more fucking heavy than that. Yeah. I didn't realize it was an 11-year-old existential crisis. Mm-hmm. It sure is. It's wonderful. <laughs> I don't want to say that it's wonderful that, you know, Margaret Simon is having an existential crisis, but it is wonderful in the sense that it is a book that acknowledges that 11- and 12-year-olds' problems are real and huge and just as existential as they are when you're an adult, and I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So so what about what about you? I'm sure that you have much more history with with Margaret and Judy than I do. Oh yeah, I was I, a Judy I, girl. I, I, as were most people, it seems like I read like no Judy Bloom because I didn't read. I was like, you didn't read. I didn't read at all. It's nothing against Judy herself. She's like a fucking bad bitch. And I just kept saying, get his ass Judy during the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Judy's great. Yeah, I was I was a Judy girl. Um my mom gave me are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. When I was really, really young to read, and I just devoured it. I thought it was so good. And then I would go to the library at school and just like continually check out Judy Bloom's other books. Uh, Blubber really meant a lot to me um, as a kid. As, as a chubby kid? As a chubby kid, because I was just always... Because the other thing, too, with Blubber is that she was never even that much bigger than the rest of the girls at school, which, like, that spoke to me as well because I was a chubby kid and I was bigger, but, like, I like I look at old pictures of myself and I'm like, I really wasn't that big, but I was tormented as if I was because I was also, like, Laura in Are You There, Got It's Me, Margaret. I just got more mature You started faster. wearing a bra in fourth grade? Yeah, so that meant that both I was a slut and fat. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, like, it also doesn't help that it was during a particularly skinny time. Yeah, the 2000s were hell. Um, yeah. They were really bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I devoured Judy's books. What's really funny, too, is I like to think that I was a really well-rounded kid in terms of, like, oh, I had all my very girly interests. Like, you know, I did baton and whatnot. And I also had my very masculine, quote-unquote, interests of, you Playing know. hockey. Hockey, skateboarding, um, uh horror movies, things that are typically associated with more, like, men, even though, like, girls can do everything. We know that. Um, I never, like, super got into the super fudge books because I did not give a shit about this little boy. I was like, I don't care about your story. 
<laughs> I was very much like, if it's not Judy talking about girls, I don't want it. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's like one of those fucking uh, what were those like stickers and T-shirts of like boys are dumb, throw rocks at them. Oh, I definitely had like one of those shitty posters. My yeah. mom got one for me because I liked the uh, illustration design on those where they were like kind of crude stick figures, but not. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bunch of those, and my mom got me one that says, boys are stupid, they're rocks with them. I actually had, like, a pair of socks, like, because I went through a phase in junior high where I wore, like, nothing but, like, knee-high socks that were patterned, and I had ones that said, like, boys are stupid, they're rocks with them, and it's like, you gay. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a misandrist. I mean, apparently, a 12-year-old misandrist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it really that difference than the, I don't know, probably from 1970 of us like, boys go Jupiter, get more stupider. Right. Like, it's so very uh, binary in that way. Totally. And if there is one thing that people like to knock Judy for, it is that, like, her characters very much exist on the binary. But you also have to remember, like, these are books from the 70s. Like, they, like, we just weren't there yet. Like, Judy is revolutionary, and we have since expanded upon our understanding of adolescence. Um, but her work was monumental in getting us to the point where we could have stories about kids that were genderqueer and kids that were dealing with living outside, you know, the, the structure of the binary gender. Yeah. I think also it says a lot about the documentary where there was like so many not women yeah. Who they talked to who were just like, yeah, but fucking Judy, though. Yeah. And Judy also was like wildly feminist in a time where she was like, there wasn't necessarily terms for, for feminists. Mm-hmm. And also something that I love about her is that she is kept up. Mm-hmm. Like she's up to date. But some fucking shitty turf piece of shit tried to make it so that it seemed like Judy said that she hated trans people. And then Judy was like, um, excuse me. No. Yeah. OK, let's talk about that, actually, because. Get, getting into context with Judy is, it's pretty simple. This book came out in 1970. It was uh, the book that kind of put her on the map. Um, and people were originally like loved it. They absolutely loved it. Um, there were some parents that were a little concerned it might be a little too adult for some kids, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't until the 80s when you have like the moral majority. And of course, of course... It all comes back to Reagan. It all comes back to Reagan, baby. Uh, That suddenly book bans were becoming a thing again, and Judy's books have consistently been on the most bans list, especially Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, for talking about bras and periods, and then Judy Bloom Forever because it's a book about teenagers having sex where nobody dies, um, and people have a lot of issues with that. No, it needs to be like mental hygiene films, and you need to make them suffer. Yeah, especially if you're gonna be referencing God in it, then God needs to punish you. Yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. Um, so the thing with Judy and the transphobia accusations, which oh my God, I have never been so mad in my life. Um, so Judy Bloom was interviewed around the time that this movie and the documentary came out for the Sunday Times in the UK. And our UK listeners probably already know this, but if you don't know this because you are a filthy, filthy American, um, the UK has a trans problem. I just assume that <laughs> everybody in the UK who works in journalism hates trans people. <laughs> it sure seems to be that way. Yeah, that's why we had like that big celebration talking about like 
Caitlin Moran uh, for How to Build a Girl. And it's like, oh, my God, like a UK author that is not transphobic. This rules. Um, anyway, so Judy was interviewed by this publication um, and specifically this writer named Hadley Freeman. Um, if you ever hear the name Hadley Freeman and they're talking about transphobia or anything to do with trans, nine times out of ten, just just accept that the whatever quote she's bringing is being taken out of context. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened is she kind of trapped Judy in a perfect storm where – and remember, Judy's in her 80s, like – Judy's also an old lady. She's cool as fuck. She's an old lady. Mm -hmm. So Hadley kind of trapped her in this perfect storm where she's like, you know, do you think that it's acceptable that people are like sending death threats to JK Rowling and like harassing her and all these things? And Judy obviously was like, no, obviously not. I'm one of the most, you know, uh, banned authors possible. I know what it's like to be in this position and it's terrible. And I totally support her. Like she, she should not be going through this. And Hadley then puts it out to make it seem like Judy is standing behind J.K. Rowling's transphobia. And it's like, no, no, no. Judy is not standing behind transphobia. Judy is not a fan of transphobia. Judy is a fan of people not being sent death threats. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a totally different situation here. So then she had to, like, make a public statement on Twitter.com. Yeah, okay. If <laughs> Seriously, if, if Judy Bloom has to come out with like a notes app clarification because you manipulated her words that it, intently, I would just evaporate. Get her ass, Judy. Like, no fucking way. Yeah, Judy was like, I wholly support the trans community. My point, which was taken out of context, is that I can empathize with a writer or a person who has been harassed online. I stand with the trans community and vehemently disagree with anyone who does not fully support equality and acceptance for LGBTQIA plus people. Anything to the contrary is total bullshit. I, I love Judy so much. She's okay. so great. Gnarly old lady. God, she's so awesome. So yeah, I wanted to talk about that too because in the age of the internet, a lot of times we hear like the accusations or like the big bad thing. The truth come out. And then no one ever follows up on it mm -hmm. because I like once I saw this was coming from Hadley Freeman in the Sunday Times, I was like, this is going to be some bullshit because she's mm -hmm. done this before to another author whose name I don't remember. I think she did with Joyce Carol Oates. Um, that she, sounds about right. Yeah. Is that, when, is that when Joyce Carol Oates started just popping off and just going on like I think huge so. rants about everything that made her mad? I think so. And if I'm wrong, like whatever, I was close enough. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is not the first time this has happened with this this journalist. So LOL forever. Fuck her. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, like that. that's kind of the context for, for this because mm -hmm. the context for the movie is it came out this year and not very many people saw it. Which is such a shame. Like, it's such a shame. I think that this is going to be a movie that'll have extra life um, on like VOD or especially when it hits streaming because I do think that the same way that reading a Judy Bloom book is kind of like a, it's like a private experience. Like... I don't think anybody is ashamed to admit that they're reading Judy Bloom by any stretch of the imagination because she's so exciting. But if you're at that age where these events are affecting you, you don't want to like publicize that you're reading the period book or the you, masturbation you book. You don't want to whatever. be in a theater with a bunch of other people getting really right, emotional. Right. Um, I mean, I think reading is generally a fairly solitary hobby in general. Yeah. So like that's not to say that like obviously books have never been adapted to screen and done well because we've covered a large number of them here. So many. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just people, people weren't doing it. 
we we failed, but this is one of those films that I think is like so good and such a specific period of mm. no pun intended specific <laughs> period in in time in someone's life that I think it'll do really well in that long run. Yeah, I think so too, and I think that this is also going to be a movie that like mothers show their daughters like I think it's going to be one of those types of movies oh, and poor, poor Rachel McAdams oh my god I love her just so much being the most tired beautiful mom <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that out of the way it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show we're in the heart of summer prom party and hopefully you all are all surviving we're we're doing our best over here consistently having to record without the air on in Los Angeles it is it is a lot but we got some really fun stuff over on the Patreon for you to be excited about this month speaking of unbearable heat and no relief from it for our Sadie Hawkins dance we're covering a suggestion box film from a number of people we're doing holes and a, a personal favorite from my neck of the woods, Tommy Boy. So we're talking about a, a boyish man in that one. For our musical milestones, we are going to be covering 90s Eurodance and Europop as filtered through like us filthy Americans where we really just got like the cream of the crop over here. And this may or may not be inspired specifically by Barbie Girl. And we're making up for some lost time because we got... Uh, we got caught with the COVID finally in the back part of July, and you're going to get two episodes of us covering the total six episodes from the start of My So-Called Life. You're also going to get a double dose of BJ's monthly newsletter to make up for us being too sick to do it last month, as well as the one for this month. In addition to all that, you'll get my fun indie playlist as well as access to the suggestion box where you can go ahead and throw in your own suggestions, either for the Sadie Hawkins dance, the main show, or anything else. With this being August, it is officially going to be three whole years of This Ends It Prom, and we truly could not have done it without all of you. We even bought new microphones to celebrate, and hopefully we sound way better to your, to your ears. As always, if you're not able to financially support the podcast in any way, the best thing you can possibly do to support us is recommend us to a friend, rate, review, do all do all that fun stuff. Thank you all so much, and now back to the movie. Alrighty, so obviously our our protagonist is the titular role. How do you feel about Margaret Simon? Margaret's got a lot going on. Margaret does have a lot going on. She's so, going through it. She unfortunately is getting pulled from New York. And my understanding of every New Yorker is they absolutely don't want to go to New Jersey. <laughs> and to be fair, a lot of people in New Jersey begrudgingly go to New York. Where it's like, I mean, yeah, there's stuff happening there. But like, fuck New York, Jersey for life. <laughs> um, th at least that's what I seem to know about New Jersey versus New York as a person who's never lived on the, the East Coast. But... Yeah, she's got she's got Rachel McAdams as her mom who grew up Christian and her very Jewish father and her sort of Jewish grandmother, Kathy Bates. Yeah, okay, so let's get that out of the way just so that we don't have to like linger on it later. So Benny Safdie plays dad. He is one of the directors of Uncut Gems. Um, he's just a very talented director and actor in general. I love the Safdie bros. I think they're so fascinating. Um, but Kathy Bates is supposed to be playing a Jewish grandmother. Kathy Bates is not Jewish. 
Um, that is one of the big things that like got knocked from critics in this, where they're like, "Look, Kathy is having the time of her life. She's so much fun. She's in this. having so much fun. Her, she is not Jewish. when she is when she is flirting with fucking Mister Mister Binneman. Mm-hmm. It's just like don't eat all the cheese unless you want to eat all the cheese. I'm sure your cholesterol's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's having the time of her life. She is so fun and fancy, and I love fabulous grandmas like that. But yeah, she's not a Jewish grandma. She's playing one. They probably should have gotten like an actual Jewish actress, but they didn't. And it is what it is. Like yeah. that, that's just what we're dealing with here. Um, and if you want more information on the importance of authentic Jewish casting, our Shiva baby episode exists for that conversation. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Kathy Bates is honestly really great here because she's, she's Kathy ha- Bates. She's fucking great in everything. Yeah, exactly. She's Kathy Bates. She's fantastic. So she knows what she's supposed to be doing. And she is very much like emulating this role. But yeah, it's it's not like she's performing. She's acting. Yeah. It doesn't feel super authentic. But if you can kind of get past that, then it's a fantastic performance. Yeah. So Margaret wants to stay in New York. She wants to be close to grandma. She doesn't know her other grandparents because poor Rachel McAdams has to smile and tell grin through a story um, while crying, which is dreadful. But yeah, she ends up getting marooned in the suburbs. And Mm -hmm. everything I know about New Jersey is that it's the Midwest of the coast. Yeah. (laughs) And she, she makes a new friend instantly named Nancy. Nancy's kind of a mean girl who is trying to be more mature or more grown up than she actually is. She has this teacher who immediately is like, I want you to write a a thesis on fucking religion. Right. Which is, I'm so mad at that teacher for that. Like, he seems like a perfectly fine teacher from what we see. But I'm just like, no, how dare you? That is fucking rude and too heavy to put on this 11-year-old. Yeah, that's a really, really extreme thing to have a kid have to process. Yes. So in like the opening 20 minutes of this movie, we essentially learn all of the things that Margaret's going to be going through, which is wanting to be grown up but isn't physically there yet and dealing with where she is as a religious or non-religious person. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the entirety of her conflict in snowballing effect for the movie. Exactly. And that's something that I really like is that Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret very much feels like a slice of life story and that it doesn't feel like there's this huge like arc, you know, it's not like a hero's journey by any stretch of the imagination. It's lots of little things, which is what life actually is. Exactly. But they all are rooted in like the same central conflicts that are just compounding on one another as the story goes on further. In an article that I'm going to be kind of pulling from uh, it was actually written on Slash Film by Caroline Madden. This is actually a pitch that I approved as an editor. Um, but it was, are you there? Goddess me, Margaret tackles the taboo of tweendom. And I really like this line that says, there are very few stories about the tween years, an uncomfortable and confusing time when you're unsure if you should still sleep with stuffed animals or start stuffing your bra. It involves the uncertainty of puberty, peer pressure, and oppressive school rules. I have so many memories from this formative time period burned into my brain, like the time a boy said that I was gross or how desperately I wanted to look like silky-haired popular girls. And because of this gap in tween representation on screen, girls are expected to go straight from Doc McStuffins to Euphoria, Rachel Skewart shrewdly observed in Vulture. And that's why the latest release of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret feels like such a breath of fresh air. Well, yeah, like, again, I think that's one where this movie shines and will continue to shine is that we currently overlook this period of girls. Mm-hmm. Um, we have We have some teen stories, but like, 
our teen stories are not really meant for teens, like mm-hmm. Euphoria, like Pen15, like a lot of these things. Or we just jump up to like full-ass adults that are targeted towards teens, like superhero movies and Star Wars and Transformers and shit like that. Um, I think that this is filling a very important niche like it did 50 years ago mm-hmm. and has done since then. I think that also having it being a period piece is kind of vital to what this is because that's just how Judy's writing is from mm-hmm. what I understand. And also you could just Google. Exactly. Like this is one of those things where we've talked about it in a couple of recent episodes where it's like, yeah, like the whole movie falls apart if you can just Google things. Yeah. We talked about that with the to-do list most recently and which is why I've always found it really funny that the modern book cover of Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret, which I hate, by the way. Oh, those text messages? Yeah, it's it looks like a text message saying, like, Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret, and then God is so very clearly leaving Margaret unread. Fucking just um, God over here with getting these you up messages. Right. Um, but I've always hated that because, one, I, I, like, I get why it's there. It's to modernize it so that it becomes a little bit more accessible sure. for kids who have never used anything other than a cell phone before. I get that, but Margaret doesn't have access to those things, and that's part of why she is so, like, confused and worried. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, the really nice bridge between this and, like, our current era is Bo Burnham's eighth grade, which we've done an episode on, because then what you end up having is looking for information and being inundated with, like, misinformation or being inundated with stuff you're, like, very much not ready for. You just get stuck with porn. It, yeah, basically. I mean, fuck, man, that's what I did when I was like 12 years old and I'm Googling things like what boys who want to dress up like girls or whatever the fuck wordage I use. <laughs> right. It's like, hey, I can I, what what do you think I found? Uh, I'm going to assume you found like sissy porn. <laughs> uh, amongst many other things, a lot of forced <laughs> feminization things, a lot of cross-dressing, a whole lot of like shemale ass stuff like not information basically is what i'm getting at here right you're not getting like hey kid you might be trans you're getting hey big boy you want to jerk off to this be like that's right you put on the skirt (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like oh (laughs) ma'am it was it was very much a different uh different different thing yes (laughs) so i i guess even having the ability to google is not necessarily a surefire thing but it fills in information just not answering the questions you have per se right right. um i i think that where this movie shines is that it's kids communicating with each other Mm -hmm. um one of the ones that i remember so vividly from my childhood is like titanic which i talked about when we did that episode where it's like what happened in the car it's like jack bitter and it's like why did jack bite her (laughs) or it's just kids like discussing information with each other and Uh not necessarily having the whole picture Mm -hmm. but like Sort of, it's like a brain trust where everyone's just piecing together information. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is so extremely sincere from everything I remember growing up. Absolutely. Like, it makes me think a lot of the movie Good Boys that I know we talked about on the Patreon. She's a nymphomaniac, which means she has sex on land land and and sea. sea. (laughs) (laughs) Like, stuff like that is just really endearing to me because I remember that time period, especially because, like, little kids say things with such confidence when they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Which is just really funny to me. Um, And, like, one of the best examples we have of that is when they look at the Playboy 
um, because they have the preteen sensations group. Once Margaret, you know, moves in and Nancy's like, you're with me now because that's how childhood friendships kind of work mm-hmm. is like, oh, you live near me. I guess we're friends now. And yes, that's how I hung out with a lot of boys and girls, well, girls before they moved away across the street. But then it was just like hung out with boys that I had nothing in common with. And it's like, fuck, man, I guess we're playing a lot of racing games. <laughs> oh, like we don't want to play the ones where you shoot missiles. You just want to drive a car and be boring. Fuck man. Gran Turismo is so dull. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got your pretty sensations cause we have Nancy and Janie and Gretchen ha- all hanging out together. We'll talk about them separately, but they do have this like shared moment together where they're talking about like what it's going to be like when they're older and what their bodies are going to look like. And the first thing that they have to like think about that is playboy. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're, your dad is a playboy. Go get it. Well, this is something that BJ was like, okay, but this was very real, though. This is a thing that we, like, absolutely did. And I'm like, <laughs> but, like, was this a thing most girls did? Or is it just because you developed young and are a pervert and like <laughs> women? Was this really a girl thing? And the answer that I had for you is it's the same as when we had the conversation about sleepovers of, like, it depends on who was there. Where it's like, yeah, we all were like examining the bodies and looking at it like, will I look like this? And a handful of us also got something else out of it, but we weren't verbalizing that. Sure. No, we definitely did look, but I do remember this is like low-key, like mildly traumatic in hindsight. Okay. Um, But... You know, like I said, I was with a lot of girls who were a lot smaller than me. And because I did baton, it's basically gymnastics. And, you know, gymnasts, like, a lot of times don't develop breast tissue because they are so fit. Mm -hmm. Um, My body didn't care. My body was developing breast tissue whether I wanted it or not. Well, yeah, you had endocrine problems. Yeah, that too. Um, But a lot of my friends were, like, flat. Like, just that's the best way I can say it without sounding like an asshole, but like mm-hmm. they had no boobs. So some itty bitty titty committee kind of, yes. kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and I distinctly remember there was like uh, a Maxim magazine that one of us had gotten because I think like Ashley Simpson or somebody was on the cover, like somebody that we liked was on the cover, mm-hmm. but we're like flipping through the pages of Maxim. And there was this woman with like absurdly huge boobs. I have no idea who she was, just some model but I got like tormented because my friends were like, that's what Brittany's going to look like when she's older. You're going to look like such a slut. And I'm like, you can have your inflatable clown titties. Pretty much. They were like, they were just like, this is what you're going to look like. And I just remember being horrified of the idea of like, I don't want, I don't want to not have a neck anymore. Jokes on me. I don't have a neck now. Um, (laughs) That's for like double chin reasons as well as huge boobs reasons. Um, But like it was such a thing where they they were just like, look at you. You're going to look like this. That's going to be you when you're older. And then they would like turn the page to some like absolute knockout like model who does not have huge clown titties. And they'd be like, and that's going to be me. And I'm going to be perfect. And I was like, man, this sucks. Because <laughs> I know in my heart of hearts, y'all are right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also kind of a, a part of this story is Nancy's Nancy's the one who is confident and her friends aren't confident. Mm-hmm. So the other two girls, their names are uh, Gretchen and, and Janie. And, Janie. and uh, I don't know, they, they all are kind of piecing this together together. Mm-hmm. But Nancy absolutely just says things with confidence and they go, well, fuck, I mean, 
you, you sound like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, you're living proof that we must improve our bust, and that's the way to get titties. Yeah, Nancy has so much unearned confidence at her age, which I go back and forth on how I feel about Nancy. Because on one hand, I definitely understand that she is kind of a bitch. Yeah. Um, she's super mean and really judgmental and really mouthy, which I do love mouthy girls. We talk about that all the time on the show. I love that about her, but I also can see exactly like how she became who she is because of her mother, Mm -hmm. because she has like the insufferable PTA mom. Oh, that mom. And once you have like, if everybody I feel like knows who that kid is, where like their mom is the insufferable PTA mom, where their mom is like adult Tracy Flick and how it has like totally impacted their kids and their kids tend to be like little assholes that think they can get away with anything because, well, my mom's in the PTA, so like I'm really not going to get in trouble for this. Well, like when we first meet her and she's like on the doorstep or whatever, she says like, oh, yeah, I live down the street from you in the bigger house. Right. (laughs) It's just like, oh, okay, I know exactly who you are. Exactly. Like she has no problems being like, I'm better than you. Yeah. Like she's like a little baby MJF. It's ridiculous. She absolutely is. But like. (laughs) I don't know. There is something I like about her being a little spitfire, um, but also she's just mean. She is. She's like really cruel. And she's one of those girls that like we learn as it goes on. Her cruelty is definitely rooted in her own insecurity. Of course. Um, as is, you know, Taylor's old as time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's usually how this goes. Um, but she likes being like the leader of the group. She likes being the boss. That's I mean, very I, much who she is. It's very much like what she's pulling from from her mom. Mm-hmm. Where Absolutely. It, it's like, are you better than everybody else or are you just making sure you surround yourself with people worse than you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And it's interesting is because like there's the conversation that happens all the time of like, you know, when little girls are, you know, head fast or whatever, we call them bossy or we call them mean. But when boys do, we call them leadership. And it's like, no, 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 no. Nancy's being a brat. Like, mm-hmm. she's being actually mean to people. Like, that's not leadership. She does have leadership qualities. She's really good at controlling a room. That's great. She can fine-tune that as she gets older. But right now, in her current form, Nancy's a little bitch. Uh-huh. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. She's going to grow out of it. But, like, let, let's acknowledge what's going on here. Nancy's mean. Yeah. And she's very controlling. And she doesn't like it when things don't go her way, as we see during, like, the two minutes in the closet thing where... Uh, Margaret gets to go in with the boy they all have a crush on and Nancy is like vengeful about it and it's like girl this is a game of randomness like chill out (laughs) I don't know she just she's used to everything working out for her so how could Margaret be number 12 exactly how could Margaret get to be with Philip also like again this is another one of those tales as old as time where it's like is the most popular boy that cute or does he just have a good haircut? Does he just have good hair? He just has good hair. Exactly. That's all it is. And you have this poor chubby kid whose party that they are at for his birthday. And I'm sorry, him in his little vest. He just looks like a 40 year old lesbian. I love him so much. Norman. <laughs> yeah. Norman does look like he like <laughs> he looks like a butch. Like he's yeah. so cute. <laughs> I love him so much. But you like made a comment at one point where you were just like. But is this just not Hannah Gadsby shrunk down? I was like, look, you're not wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, they call Norman, they're really mean to him. And they're just like, oh my God, he's like so weird. And I was like, is he weird? He's just a little awkward. Honestly, I think he is perfectly gentlemanly about not being a fucking goon of being like, I get a kissy with spin the ball and go in for tongue. Like, he gives like a cheek peck and is like, cool. That's all, that's all I was going Mm -hmm. for. Like, 
I think that he is probably a perfectly fine little boy. Yeah, he's, he's very... just chubby and does not have social things figured out as well as him, which means he's a fucking loser. And I know this because I was that kid. <laughs> <laughs> the the theory that I've always had about Norman is that like obviously we're seeing him in the seventies. If Norman was around when we were kids. He would have been the kid who got the fedora not to be like a milady, but because he genuinely thought it made him look classy. Mm-hmm. That's who that kid is. I mean, he does wear a vest at his own party. He It's his it, birthday. It's, it's a fancy like Christmas timed party for his birthday. Yes. So like everyone needs to be it's dressed to the formal, nines. formal attire. Yes. Obviously. Of course. <laughs> So like yeah no Nancy's Nancy's mean I mean there's nobody meaner there's nobody she's meaner to than uh, Laura Danker. Okay yeah so let's talk about Laura Danker because you feeling some kind of kinship with Laura Danker. If if I was anybody in this movie I'm a combination of Gretchen and Laura Danker and like I know that about myself and I love that about myself. Yeah. Um but I really really feel for Laura Danker as the girl who was also the first one who got like really mature before everybody else. This girl is the same age as everyone else in this movie. Yeah, I had to look it up. This actress is, so all of the actors in this are waffling between um, 13, 14, 15. Abby Ryder Foster, who is Margaret, is the same age as the actress who is playing Laura Danker. And like that is such a good example to show that like, puberty does not play favorites like Mm -mm. it just does what it does and that means you get a character like laura who's a foot taller than everybody else and started growing breasts before everybody else who still looks like a child Mm -hmm. um and they're so mean to her well yeah she's got boobs that means she's a slut and she, Uh she gives moose handies behind the soda shop or whatever right and like we've we've seen that kind of story in a lot of, we see this in like Welcome to the Dollhouse. We see this a little bit in eighth grade, but like it is very much a thing that if your body develops faster than everybody else, like little girls don't have the language to recognize that like you're like a girl is being sexualized. So instead they view it as like, oh, this girl must be sexual. Well, I mean, it's also just an observation of how boys notice you. Mm hmm. Um, like they're th- these girls are noticing like changes in their own body or lack thereof in some cases and go, well, what's the difference between her and me? Well, she's taller and she's got these giant boobs mm-hmm. and they're probably like a B cup or something. Yeah, they're really not it's, that It's bag. all relative. Yeah. Um, it's fucking South Park episode where they're like, baby's giant boobs and they're <laughs> right. like nothing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's that and noticing how like boys kind of look at her different. Mm-hmm. But also something that happens, um, and I, I also relate to, to Laura Danker in that I was the tallest kid in my grade mm-hmm. by a lot. Mm-hmm. I sprang up way before everyone else did. And then when you would have to take like these giant photos of like, oh, like the whole class, class or whatever, be like, where am I? Let's see, top right, there I am every time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just towering over everyone else. The problem with being, um, you know, impossible to hide is that you can't hide. Yeah. So either you are going to be the most confident, controlled center of attention or you're just left like hanging in the breeze. Mm-hmm. Like it is so unfortunate that uh, just being taller and sticking out like that makes your life harder. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's, I guess, this. I don't know how it is for you. 
But like just being taller, there's this expectation of like, oh, you got to have tall person energy. Yeah. And tall people have to be extroverts and they need to be commanding and confident and controlled. Mm -hmm. And like the only alternative to that is like, oh, gentle giants. Right. Where it's like almost feels like a reaction in the in the inverse of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I mean, obviously, I've never been tall, so I've never had that experience. But I think there's also kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that happens, you know, how you were saying, like, when you're a tall person, you have to have tall person energy. Mm -hmm. Well, when you grow boobs before everybody else and then everybody starts assuming that you're a slut, a lot of times that then just perpetuates that behavior where it's like, well, I might as well do it. If you're all going to say this about me and you're all going to believe this about me anyway, that I might as well be coming in the process. Yeah. Um, that was definitely my response to a lot of it. Well, but, yeah, you mean, know, I'll spend the rest of my life unpacking. Sure. I mean, girls are going to be jealous but not want to admit that they're jealous because admitting you're jealous of someone is a very um grown-up response yes yeah and like that is a very hard thing to admit which is why we see someone like nancy being pouty mm -hmm. like the whole time instead of just owning up to like how she's feeling because she doesn't have the language for that yet because she's still a child uh -huh. so as much as like we're being mean to nancy like i also understand she's a child she's working through shit as well, well she's also like mean to gretchen because how dare gretchen Get her period before her. Yes. So Gretchen is the first of their friend group to get her period. And it's really funny because they all are expecting it to be this like monumental, like groundbreaking thing. And she's like, I did it. And then it happened. And that's it. Like <laughs> there's no, she's like, everything feels different. Everything, you know, and that is true. Like once that happens, like you do kind of feel different because it's like, Oh, man, this is like a whole thing I'm going to have to deal with now. What the well, hell? This very, her recounting the story of her first period feels like me telling a story <laughs> where I'm just like, I don't know, just a thing happened. You're like, what do you mean a thing just happened? I was like, I don't know. Why? <laughs> like, this is I, this is how I fucking tell important big deals like this. It's just like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, It's especially interesting to see this be so casual because certainly at the time of the book's release, but in the years since that, Periods are very, they're treated really different. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I can always think of in terms of how like periods are treated uh, is the King of the Hill episode. I think it's like aisle 8A mm -hmm. where Connie gets her, her period and Hank and Con are like, ah, right. freaking the fuck out about everything because men don't know how to handle little girl periods. Mm -hmm. um, that that's, that's one of the definitive period experiences I can think of I've ever seen in media, but like Usually it's a lot more traumatic and uh, mean than that. Yeah, it's like, Carrie. Like fucking Carrie. Yeah, it's usually like it's Carrie or it's like this horrible thing because it happens in the middle of class. Like, you I mean. You tie a sweater around you your get, oh, waist. Oh, like the sweater around your waist is such a thing. It's awful. But the thing is, if you just kind of have your period, like if you just have it. If it doesn't happen in an embarrassing situation. Yeah, and, it's just a thing that happens. Yeah. And you're right that culturally we've, change the way that we talk about having periods um because now there's also like period parties happen now like a big celebration where is, you is know that a thing oh yeah period parties are definitely a thing now sure i mean they have a, a graduation from like sixth grade in here and we didn't have those in my class there's a lot of things that i'm not mm -hmm. aware happen as far as events are concerned yeah, period parties are like they're still not super super common but they have been gaining popularity where, you know, once it happens, it's like you have all your friends over and it's a sleepover and, you know, you watch movies and like you little, make red velvet cake. Like secular bat mitzvah. Kind of, yeah. I love this. Like, uh, that's a really Congrats. good way to put you're it. you're a woman now. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. And it's it's very sweet and very fun. 
Um, I wish I could have done something like that. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when did you get your period? I was very young. You were like 10, I 11. was like nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was dying because I had I was too young. I didn't have that talk yet. Um, but then that did mean that when it, we got to school and it was like, we're going to talk about this in school. I was like, I'm already having that. I don't, yeah. I don't need to. Do you, do you... <laughs> I don't need to watch the terrifying video where the girl has her period at a sleepover and then mom decides to educate the girls about their changing bodies by making uteruses with pancake batter. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me this story now. Yeah. It's... That that detail just unlocked this memory. Yeah. Uh... it's It was so weird. <laughs> like, these videos are so fucking weird. I don't know. They they're, they're trying to show you watch. a thing without showing you the thing. Right. Um, they're getting creative. It's like the the classic, we're doing sex ed, we're rolling a condom down a banana. Right. Um, we're just like, uh, uh, I don't know. I guess this is the visual stimuli you need to learn about the lesson we're trying to teach you. But I guess this is like one of those uh, be careful what you wish for kind of things because Nancy does eventually get her period and does not handle it in a graceful situation. Well, because first off, she lied. Um, she told She sends Mark- a postcard just yeah. to lie. She sends a postcard to Margaret to say, like, I got it from Washington, D.C. Which she paid to lie. Which is like, okay, this if you're going to lie, this is a good circumstance because you're far away. No one can see whether or not this is true. It'll it'll be done by the time you come back. Exactly. Um, but then when it actually happens for her, it is traumatizing and like very scary because yeah, the first time that you see period blood, it is so scary because it shouldn't work like this because you have all these associations like when you're bleeding, that that means you're hurt or that means dying. There's, there's something wrong, you're dying. Yeah. And like, it can be a lot. It can be a lot of blood. Like, for people who don't get periods, I think unless hey. they witness, yeah, unless like you witness it, it's really hard to contextualize how much blood it actually is. Like there have been days where I've you know gotten it in my sleep or whatever. My body's gotten really good now. It like it wakes me up, and like I, I, it's so hard to explain, but like my body just wakes me up, and then I'm like, oh, I know what that feeling is, and then I go to the bathroom, and it's like I'll wipe, and it's like ah, there it is. It's I knew kind of like coming. um when you when you have to pee in your dream. Kind of, yeah. But then your body's like, don't do it. You're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Or like uh, you you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I don't feel good. And then you just barely make it to the bathroom and then throw up. Yes. It's your vagina throwing up. <laughs> it really is, though. Um, but if I'm like sick or if I'm drunk or like something where I'm like not on my A game, I have woken up and it's like, it's a fucking crime scene. Like, this looks like the Godfather. What is happening in here? Like, it's terrifying. I'm glad you haven't done that in my bed. No, I've not. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I like how you said my bed like it's not our bed. I I bought the bed. That's fair. You did buy the bed. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go joints on our next bed, then it can be our bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, luckily I've I've not done that. But yeah, when when Nancy finally gets hers. Yeah, it's traumatizing, and she's like scared, and she's yeah. crying. It's also at, like a fancy restaurant. It's like a really bad. She's time in like to be a, doing yeah. It. They went and saw the Rockettes. Like it was like a whole thing, and that sucks. And I feel bad for her because that that is awful. But it puts a strain in her and Margaret's relationship because Margaret's like you fucking lied to me, mm-hmm. and not only did you lie to me, you lied specifically to make me feel bad about myself for not having gotten my period yet. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if I want to be friends with someone like that. And it's like, I'm glad that Margaret like has that realization because yeah, don't be friends with somebody who's going to lie to you like that. Yeah. I feel like maybe give it a couple of years. You and Nancy could be friends, but like Nancy's got some shit. She's got to work out. 
Well, especially because like they have arbitrary rules as friends. Yeah. Which, where it's like you can't wear socks even though you're going to get blisters. Right. Or it's like you have to wear a bra even though nobody actually has boobs here. Right. You have to like write down in your journal the boy that you have a crush on and everyone likes the same boy except for Margaret who likes moose. But mm-hmm. you can't admit you like moose because that's your brother's friend and therefore it means he's gross. Right. So silly. Like the arbitrary rules we have as kids are just so silly. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I know. No tuna at lunch. You must read self cover to cover. <laughs> so silly. But like speak, speaking speaking of mean girls, let's talk about Rachel McAdams. It's nice to see her back on the show for the first time since Mean Girls. She might pop up a couple more times. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to having watched Rachel McAdams kind of grow up. Mm-hmm. Not like since like child child age, like uh, like Miley Cyrus or something like that. Mm-hmm. But being like. Oh, no, but, like, she absolutely is old enough to play a believable mom now. Uh-huh. But it's weird. I it know. I, she still, she has, like, the same face. She's just tired now. I this know. Movie. <laughs> I love Rachel McAdams in this movie so much. She is so, like, she's so layered because you can tell that she, like, when they first announced that they're going to move, she's like, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to be at home, and I'm going to be there for you. And Margaret's first response is, but you love teaching art. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that she's like, but why would you do that? Like, that's not who you are. And it's like, oh, you understand your mom so well. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's constantly battling this, like, preconceived notion of who she's supposed to be as a mom where she wants to make art and she wants to do all these things, but she doesn't know how to cook and she doesn't, you know, she's signing up to do everything in the PTA so that she can be involved and feel like she's doing the right thing, but she doesn't actually like doing any of it no i mean you could say that she burnt dinner or put a spin on it it's charred Ooh, it's fancy. fancy now mm. blackened chicken i don't i don't know if children like blackened chicken i did of course you did you like burnt everything i love burnt everything you would lick like the burner on the stove if you could i probably would <laughs> but um yeah no she's she's trying to be a mom uh she even cuts a mill like oh my god like but she has to cut her stars, and her stars look nice. And then Jan, Nancy's mom, is like, you know, this other mom. Her stars are kind of lopsided and ugly. Maybe you could make all of her thousands of stars. I'm like, fuck this one. Right. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Like, I hate her so much. And I'm not going to say names because I am a professional. But Jan reminds me so much of these two women that were at my school from, like, kindergarten all throughout high school. And they were just like this. And they were so fucking insufferable and just oh god like the people who just they they so clearly don't have any sort of personality outside of their own children so they have to be like that person oh these god. are the people who will fucking call the city on you because the hoa says that you can't let your grass be longer than it is yes oh i can't stand these we think your mailbox bodies. is ugly we're calling the cops oh my god like she's absolutely one of those she's she's like the the quote-unquote nice white lady version of like karen's yeah where she's not gonna like throw a tantrum and scream or make a scene but she will judge the fuck out of you and be so shitty and get her nose in everyone else's business because if she's dealing with your business, then that means she can ignore her own business at home. She is an awful white lady who knows how to play within the rules. Yes. Oh my God, yes. She has gained the system. This is why she is like in charge of the PTA. She doesn't have to delegate. She doesn't have to do anything. She just has to delegate. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, no, she's fucking dreadful and I do not care for her. And she judges the shit out of Rachel McAdams for not having any furniture. Right. I mean, and like, 
to be fair, you should probably, when you move, get your furniture. Like, that's a thing you should probably do. It's so not you're not her fault. Sitting on the floor. It's fine. But yeah, I, I get, like, it's big changes. It You know, it's determining, like, what, what do we actually like versus what do we feel like we have to do to keep up with the Joneses. Like, I get it. It's, it's a nice conflict mm-hmm. to see mom also deal with these, like, am I going to be judged by my peers sort of thing. And it's a reminder, like, that doesn't change. Like, nope. you don't grow out of that. That is as common as it is in childhood as it is in adulthood. Yep. Um, so I like seeing that. But where she really shines in this is how much she loves Margaret and how much she is trying so hard to protect her from a very, very cruel world that she knows she's heading into. Oh, yeah. Um, Because one, you know, we have like, oh, you want to get a bra? Okay, knowing full well her daughter does not need one yet. But is like, okay, well, if this is what you want, if this is going to make you feel good, then... We're gonna do it. Like she, she's very. She's, she's super down. She's she's immediately like waste no time. Even if like the bra lady is like, well, we don't have ones that small. Right. <laughs> You're gonna get your grow bra, which is basically like a training bra. It's a training bra. Mm-hmm. I hate the way that they call them training bras. That's like that word is just weird to me. I guess I I don't know. What are you training? I don't know. Training your body weird. to get used to wearing a bra. I guess, but if you don't have any weight on it, all it's just another layer of clothing. You're just being whatever. squished slightly. Exactly. I don't know. But I don't know. She she's she's just really trying to be there for her daughter. She's trying really hard to be a mom. Um, unfortunately, like she and, and that even means like grinning through the fucking pain of talking about her parents from Ohio. They're from like Mount Vernon, Ohio. And I'm like, oh, no, that's in the middle of like a fucking field that I don't want to be anywhere near. Mm-hmm. I got, I've gotten a ticket in Mount Vernon before for mm-hmm. not for speeding in a speed zone that was two miles up the road. That's stupid. I hadn't actually entered the work zone on the highway yet, but they're like, well, I mean, you didn't look like you were going to slow down. So dumb. Yeah, no, fuck Mount Vernon. Sorry if you live in Mount Vernon. But uh, yeah, her parents, just this lovely, in big quotes, old white couple who are Christian and Mm -hmm. very Mm anti-Semitic. And Margaret asks, like, well, why don't I know my other grandparents? And it's like, well, you know, I'm trying to be diplomatic about my parents and not try to shape your worldview on the religion that I want you to naturally choose on your own mm-hmm. or, or don't. And um, they weren't super cool with your dad. Mm-hmm. And um, they said that I'm not their daughter. And Margaret's like, but you'll always be their daughter. And she's like, yeah, I know about. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. It's just like that scene is such a, a a beautiful, painful thing. Like she's doing such a good job of. Still smiling, still trying to not look as fucked. Like, as a parent, you don't want to look like you're absolutely falling apart in front of your child, right? Right. You have to at least be kind of a, a superhero. Like, mother is God in the eyes of a child. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so fucking sad, man. Yeah, she's fighting so hard to not let all of her own personal demons just flood all over her daughter in that scene. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is such a masterful performance. She's so good at it. Um, But that leads to kind of like the core tenet of this movie, which is Margaret trying to find her place in the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit harder for people to wrap their heads around now uh, because we, as much as we are still very much in like a Christofascist fucking society, at least in America, this is a Christian nation where we still obviously have to deal with that kind of bullshit 
it is also way more common now that people just are secular and do not have like any religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. Like I remember being really little and like getting our like social studies textbook for like fourth grade or whatever. And on the front page of the book, it would say like your name, your address, whatever. And there would be a line for your parish. Like there's a line of like, what church do you go to? That doesn't exist really anymore. Um, And that's just in the last like, you know, 30 years that that is a change that has happened. But it is, so difficult I think for people to remember that for a very long part of American culture like church was everything and not just like like what affiliation of your church said so much about who you are what community you had I mean, who you were around even which church you go to within exactly. your thing exactly where like Kathy Bates is like this is the best temple in the city and are in and out in two hours yeah in and out in two hours and I'm like oh no like I grew up Lutheran we were in and out in an hour. <laughs> Two hours. Jesus, no. But then you have to think like versus like Catholics where sometimes that shit is like four hours. Yeah, I know. Like, so, trust me, I'm Catholic on the other side. I'm familiar with Catholic church. Exactly. It's not my favorite. So because Margaret is being brought up without a religious affiliation, that does add this like level of social pressure for her where she doesn't know where she fully fits in because everybody in her life has a church and they go to a church or they go to temple or they go to whatever. And I do like that she gets to explore, you know, she goes to synagogue with grandma and it's in New York and it's like a very like what you imagine when you think of like a traditional, like Jewish temple, like Mm -hmm. cool. Love it. Um, You know, when she is following Laura around, she ends up in like a Catholic church and she doesn't go to a Catholic um, service, but she does like go into the confessional booth and then is like, nope, I don't like this too much. It's, Get me the fuck out of here. It's very intimidating. Catholicism is scary. It's so fucking scary. And like, I mean, there's um, also, she goes to like a black church. Yeah, she goes to church with Janie and she goes to black church. And like, here's the thing I've been to a lot of black church, black church and Korean church. Like, I'm not a religious person, but like, I will go for the experience because it's fucking awesome. Like, it's yeah. just a, it's just like a very welcoming environment. It feels good. I don't, like, I don't feel it doesn't guilty feel like and a weird. fucking dirge. Yeah. Like, maybe it's just the ones I went to. I assume this is a pretty universal thing for Christianity and especially Catholicism. But everything is feels like a fucking funeral. Yeah. It feels feels like you can't make any sudden moves or God will strike you down inside that building. Or it just kind of feels like you're constantly in trouble. Like, it feels like perpetual being called down to the principal's office. True. But, like, also you can't, you know, don't fart in church. Don't do any of these things because then everyone will know. And that's going to reflect on your whole family. So you have to be on your best behavior. Don't talk. Keep your head down. Yeah, I hate that shit. Like, I can't deal with it, which is why, like, some of my favorite, like, experiences have been going to black churches and Korean churches, which are, like, just the energy is so different. Yeah. And, you know, I I think you and I talked about this while we were watching it, where it's, like, had we grew up, like, in a different culture, like, and this was the kind of church environment we were brought up in, we probably would have, like stayed in religion (laughs) oh yeah like if i had grown up and you know by some chance or whatever hypothetically speaking gone to like a black church i think i would have had a significantly more warm experience and i i I don't know like at the very least i would have had a more fun experience Mm -hmm. and then maybe i wouldn't be like quite as anatomically opposed to fucking religion personally Mm -hmm. um like as far as like my affiliation is concerned with religion i'm likely atheist um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like there's a lot of pretentiousness that comes with atheism. Like, do you remember like five, six year ago, years ago where everyone was like, I'm a Satanist. 
mm-hmm. and it was more of just like a thing to piss off uh, the Christians. Mm-hmm. Like I was absolutely a person who would do that just to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the 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 Church of Satan doing things for religious freedom purposes, right? Which just, I do it, love. It's petty reactionary stuff, and I'm like, I like this. I don't actually like it like in practice. Like I don't go to actually practice religion or anything like that. But that's kind of how not having a religion is. You either do it in a response to religion in which you're still being controlled by the religion to an extent, or you just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what is eating away at Margaret is that her mom is like, Margaret's nothing Mm -hmm. until she decides she wants to be something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like there is the statement of just being like, well, you're nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's a ship without a port. Yeah. You know, it's like, where do you, where do you go? You're just adrift. You're, calmed out there and fucking who knows and admittedly because like i grew up you know completely nothing like my parents didn't go to church i like i got baptized i think and it was more so just to like appease my grandma to like make her shut the fuck up i got baptized i got communioned i didn't get I, communion i didn't I did do it for the money <laughs> like i didn't <laughs> like, I just, like i just didn't do any of these things but i did you know sing in youth group at one point i did um, like I would go to like vacation Bible school because that's where my friends were going for the summer. But like, I didn't fucking believe any of that shit. I did a Wana's because that's what my friends were doing afterwards. And it was like an activity for me to do that wasn't baton. Mm-hmm. Like again, didn't fucking believe in any of the shit. You were just looking for something to do. I was looking for something to do like with, with my friends. Yeah. And that's what they, all of my friends were religious. I mean, we're f- from the fucking city of Zion. Like, are you kidding me? Like mm-hmm. there were so many goddamn churches and like. I think I've talked about it on the show before, but if I haven't, like the streets of original, like OG Zion that run North and South are all named after characters in the Bible. And you can't get from one end of the town to the other without passing by the church that's in the middle of the city. Like Mm -hmm. that it, it was structurally built so that you had to have a religious presence in your life. Like, that's just what was part of the city. Your little moral oral town. Pretty much, yeah. So, like, if you were not a religious person, you were a fucking weirdo. Like, that, and it was very weird. And, yeah, it did kind of confuse me a lot as a kid, and I was constantly trying to, like, find things. And my parents were very much just like, we want you to figure this out on your own. We're not going to put any pressure on you. We're not going to do any of that, which I greatly appreciate. But I think I... I almost wish that my parents would have been a little bit more steadfast and been like, yeah, we're not religious. Like, this is just not a thing we do. We don't believe in it. You don't have to believe in it. It's cool that your friends do, but you just genuinely do not. Instead, they were very much like Margaret's parents where it was like, yeah, figure your shit out. Just you can do it. Yeah. I think I would have liked a little bit more guidance. I think that would have saved me some heartache of, you know, trying to be something I wasn't and trying to fit in with a community that I was never going to fit into mm-hmm. because I'm not religious. And I don't believe that shit. And like, it just is what it is. And I mean, I definitely do have some friends that are very religious that I love dearly and they're very cool about it. Like they're very much like this, like Jesus was a socialist kind of people where mm-hmm. they're like, they don't care that I'm gay. They don't care that you're trans. They don't care about any of that shit. They just love us because love a neighbor that's great. I love those people. But there are people in my life that like meant a lot to me growing up that I know damn well. Like if I ever met them in public now in like the life that I have now, it would be a really terrible experience. Sinner. 
Yeah, it'd be awful. And yeah. like, that's part of why I'm glad I don't live anywhere near where I grew up because I don't have to have those experiences and I don't have to have like the inevitable heartbreak. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what it boils down to for religion for me or like spirituality. If you want to be this like person who's like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm like, okay, well that whatever that means for you, I'm glad. Um, I think it's the pressure. That's, that's the part about religion that is awful. That's why Catholic Church feels fucking dreadful because you're just like your entire eternal soul is being threatened mm-hmm. <laughs> like with, etern- with eternal damnation. Uh, and you're just very conscious of it because they don't let you forget. I, I think with Margaret in this movie, she went from having like, you know, really just self-imposed pressure to mm-hmm. find a religion and find a place that she belongs in to suddenly... Um, I don't know, like a like a bidding war for her soul from her grandparents. Mm-hmm. Where like poor Rachel McAdams' mom in this movie, she sends a she sends a Christmas card out to her parents in Ohio. They ma- they mail back and say, "What if we come and visit you next week?" Really short short notice kind of shit. Mm-hmm. This whole experience makes me think like I. I know this is really common for a lot of people, especially queer people of like who are estranged from their parents. They want to know, oh, you changed, or you accept me now, or you accept my life now, or whatever it is. You you want to believe in it because you want to have some connection to your parents because that matters to you. I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. But I know that it is a very important thing for most people. Right. What I do understand in this scene is when they're waiting at the airport and she's talking to Margaret, who is very upset that she's not going to get to go to Florida with Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. Rachel McAdams says, like, I just want I just really want them to see, like, how good we've done without them. Mm-hmm. And like, it's still sort of, you know, vying for your parents approval. But it's more defiant. Mm-hmm. That That's a level of pettiness I can understand. I yeah. don't think she's being petty per se, but it's real close. Yeah, no, I think that there's definitely part of it where it is proof of like everything that you said you were wrong. You said we were going to be unhappy. You said all these things. You were wrong. Look, we have a nice house. We have furniture now. Mm-hmm. We have a, a beautiful daughter mm-hmm. that I can fucking bogart from you because you suck. Mm-hmm. Like there's 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 a lot of things to 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 rub in their face in that sense, and mm-hmm. may, they 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 seem like perfectly plain, boring grandparents. Mm-hmm. But immediately it's like mm, they're they don't like Herb very much. Mm-hmm. They're they're distance, and you think like, okay, it's maybe maybe they're still trying. They're uncomfortable, but they're trying. Mm-hmm. You could you could you could be generous and say that, yeah. But no, they're there because they're getting old, and they're worried about their granddaughters not being baptized and going to hell with all the little bastard babies. Yep, and uh, they're doing their fucking fishers of men Christian service, and they suck. Yeah, I do not like. Uh... Barbara's parents at all um, mm-hmm. because they have nefarious means the whole time, which I fucking cannot stand. Mm-hmm. The thing that this movie does too that I really, really like is because this movie is so obviously this is Margaret's story. This is not about anybody else in here. It is Margaret's story. But we do pick up on little bits of the stories of the other characters through Margaret's eyes. And one of my favorite examples is when Herb calls to be like, hey, by the way, Margaret's not coming to Florida because Barb's parents are coming. Like, we have to deal with this. And you see the look of fury on Kathy Bates's face, and you look at her and you're like, 
oh, no, 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 you know exactly how hard it was for her to also watch this happen for her son and the, you know, thinking of the time period of when she would have been growing up and, like, this is, like, post-World War II, like, th- like this is, uh, that like, that's when he would have been born around the time is, like, World War II. Mm. And so to see her be this, like, that visceral reaction she has of, like, I cannot believe these fucking people are being welcomed back into her life after everything they've done and said about you, about me, about our religion, about our people, about all of this. Like, fuck those people. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see that whole story on both of their faces, which I think is remarkable. And it's like, we did not need to have a scene about it. They didn't have to go on like some tangent and like really break this down. You just know, like mm-hmm. you look at it and you're like, I, you're, there's so much happening in this scene right now. Oh yeah, the, the, the prodigal grandparents return mm-hmm. and they're shitty. Mm-hmm. But like, that's, that's, what the, that's what Jesus is about. It's about forgiveness or whatever. That's his whole thing. Mm-hmm. But that's why, like... Barbara's trying. Right. And, like, when she and and Herb have, like, even an an argument about it, because he's very much like, fuck those people, which, like, yes. Yeah, they were probably very shitty to him, specifically. Like, I cannot imagine the horrible things they said. Yeah, fuck those people. Um, But watching her cry to be like, they're still my parents, and, like, I know that that is not a thing that resonates with you at all, because (laughs) fuck your parents. But, like, ooh, watching her do that, it's like, that is such layered personal pain that like mm-hmm. no individual on the planet is going to be able to understand because your relationship with your parents is so specific to who you are as a person. And we are looking at somebody who is devastated by the fact that these people that she clearly still has love for still wants to see the good in has to juggle and accept the fact like the multiple truths that she has to hold is that her parents brought her into this world and she probably has really wonderful memories with them. But at the same time, they are like raging anti-Semites that have made her life actively harder. And that fucking sucks. Well, like also think about it like this. Um, So they got married presumably 12 to 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, before Margaret was born because the grandparents have never met her. I think about an interaction they have in the kitchen when she's like preparing dinner and dad's just like, I used all my small talk in the car. I don't know what the fuck to say. What are your parents like? And she's like, um, game shows. I think we watched mm-hmm. game shows. You understand that like they've never had an adult relationship together. Like mm-hmm. the ones that I always think of of people growing up is like, ah, oh, the first time I had a beer with my dad, Yeah, you know, where I'm like, ah, oh, I'm like 18 now. And he gave me a beer. And now we're talking like men. Yeah. You've never had an adult relationship with your parents. And maybe it's just because I also grew up in a Christian household from Ohio, but uh, you just don't talk. Mm-hmm. And especially because she's like an artist, she's a painter. She, she wants to express herself. Mm-hmm. Like I can imagine the exact same frustrating feeling she has of like, I want to express myself. I want to do this. And her parents are like stern and cold. Mm-hmm. Like I get that. And it sucks, but like that's another bit of subtle storytelling of like I don't I don't know I want to have my parents in my life because they're my parents, but like I don't know anything about them. We're not like mm-hmm. close in a way where I understand like what they like or what they do. Mm-hmm. Certainly not since like fifteen years ago, maybe almost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's purely just like the pain of not having parents more than the joy of actually having parents. Yes. Oh yeah, that's a really great way to put it. So this movie is very much a tween movie, and you and I have not been tweens 
for a very long time. Are you calling me old? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and considering this is, you know, a period piece and also based on a book that is also a period piece, I was really curious how today's tweens would actually respond to this movie. Mm-hmm. So we talked to one. We have we have a tween correspondent in the family. We do. If you have listened to our episode on Moxie, which was, God, what, like two years ago now? Uh, over two years ago. Oh, my God. I'm so old. Um, our niece, Roxy, uh, made a little appearance to talk about Moxie. And she is creeping up on turning 11, which is the age of Margaret in this movie, and she recently saw this, and I was like, you know what? We gotta, we gotta bring her back. We gotta talk to Roxy and get the official word on the streets from today's tweens mm -hmm. on how this movie works. So please enjoy this little chat with Roxy. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for wanting to chat with me about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, of course. I'm so pumped to have you back to chit chat. So um, if you would like to introduce yourself to those at home who don't know who you are, uh, who are you? Uh, I am Roxy and uh, I am your niece. Yeah. yeah. How old are you now? I'm 10. I'm a, in like three months maybe i'm turning 11 oh my gosh you need to stop i'm getting so old <laughs> so the last time that we had you kind of chat with us on the show we talked about moxie and this time we're talking about are you there god it's me margaret so yeah. what was your initial thought after you watched the movie uh when, so if you move somewhere and you meet someone, don't believe like everything they say because <laughs> like if they're if they're talking bad about a person, just say, hey, maybe don't say that you you probably that's probably a lie. <laughs> so I feel like the the friendship that Margaret had with Nancy like really spoke to you because Nancy kind of comes in hot right off the bat, right? Yeah, like she just came in and was like, "Hey, you want to go like uh run around in my sprinklers?" and she was like, "Sure." <laughs> so, of all the characters in the movie, um which one do you think you identified the most with? I mostly I'm like uh Margaret's mom and Margaret. Okay. I like yeah. that. What about Margaret's mom? Do you do you like see yourself in? Like just the person who like helps out other people if they're like trying to like figure out something. Mhm. Mm like how she was helping Margaret uh figure out her religion but also said when you're older you can figure it out. You don't mm -hmm. have to have one right now. Yeah, I like that. I like that you saw yourself in in that character, especially because I think sometimes it's hard when we're young to see ourselves in characters that are a lot older than us. So I think it's cool that you recognized a little bit of yourself in, in Margaret's mom. I like that a lot. So when you first watched this movie, what did you expect or did you have any expectations? 
I knew it was about like girls getting into womanhood and all that stuff and like kind of like it's a little bit of betrayal but Mm -hmm. not really um it's just girls learning about like growing up which actually really helped me Mm -hmm. and uh some of the relationships I've been having with my with some of my friends like uh they've been like pretty mean so I'm like hey just if if you don't want to be my friend, you can say that. Like, it's fine. Um, just don't be mean to people. Like, it's just about like girls learning about womanhood and like all that stuff. Totally. I like that you said, you know, if you don't want to be my friend, that's fine. I think there's a lot of power in that where I think like when we're young and we're at school. Like, these are kind of the only people we're around. So we feel like we have to be friends with people. But, like, if you're not getting along, you don't have to be friends. And I think this movie does a good job at that because, you know, Nancy and Margaret are, like, really close at the beginning. But they're, like, not really close at the end. Mm -mm. Have you ever seen a movie before where that happens? Where, like, they stop being friends? Uh, Maybe. It's mostly in like those old two thousands like Disney Channel shows. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for real. Disney Channel kind of like had a stranglehold on uh, teen stuff there for a while. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so what are some scenes in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, that you really liked? Uh, when Margaret found out how the guy that she liked for like a couple of days, the guy who kissed her at the at that at that guy's birthday party i forget what oh, at leonard's was. birthday yeah yeah um the guy who kissed her i knew he was like not a good person mm-hmm. and, and when she was walking back home and she said all those things in her mind i i just love that because that's just like me like mm-hmm. i do that and then I talk to someone and then they get mad at me and then I'm like, oh man, now I feel bad. So then Mm -hmm. we, that happens. Like we get back together as friends and I just really like that one because it was funny of what she said. (laughs) (laughs) I thought so too. Um, So this movie also talks a lot about like puberty and like you said, you know, coming into womanhood. Did you already know this sort of stuff? Like, are these talks you and your mom already had? Yeah. I figured your mom's on the up and up. She's not going to leave you in the dark. <laughs> um, do you do you think you know more about that sort of stuff than, like, some of the people you go to school with? Uh, yeah. Like, um, uh, when they were having the puberty talk, like, the film part. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that's how periods happen Uh (laughs) Uh, because my mom just told me like all the basic stuff, but there was like more and I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) definitely. Um, Did do you get like, do they talk about this sort of stuff at school with you or is that like not a thing they talk about in school? Oh, uh, they did in fourth grade, actually, like three maybe two months ago we uh the boys and girls were separated and 
the girls had a woman talk where they were talking about puberty where like where your hair is gonna grow <laughs> and <laughs> like your period and all that stuff and uh I didn't ask any of the boys what happened but some other people asked and the boys were like no I was like, thank god <laughs> i do not want to learn about that when i was your age and they did this sort of thing they separated us um the girls all watched this like really cheesy video it was so corny um like the mom it was like a girl got her period at a sleepover and mom was trying to explain it. And she used like pancake batter to like draw a uterus. It was so weird, but we found what? out, we found out afterwards. And <laughs> when the boys learned about what happens to them, they got pop-up books. <laughs> I wish that I like, cause this is a podcast. So obviously no one can see the face you just made, <laughs> but could you imagine how ridiculous that would be? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Right. Like who whose idea was that? That's 11-year-old boys are not mature enough to handle a pop-up book with that no. in it. No, absolutely not. Ridiculous. Just put on a film for them, please. <laughs> right. So another thing that happens in, you know, Are You There? God, it's me, Margaret, is that she, you know, is trying to find her place in the world. Do you think that? this movie does a good job capturing what that feels like of being confused yeah uh, because that's what happened to me uh when so when i started watching south park mm -hmm. um i saw the goth kids and i was like oh they're so cool i want to dress like them mm -hmm. and but when I told my parents I wanted to, I was nervous because I was like, oh, man, no one's going to accept me except for my friends. And so my parents were like, if if they do, if like if they bully you. Just ignore it. Don't worry about it. You're you're cool. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of made my self-esteem like better at all that stuff and especially when I'm moving on to middle school now mm -hmm. still dressing like that makes me worried but with those words in my head I know that I'm fine yeah and your your goth fashion is pretty cool if I say so myself <laughs> as a former goth kid I mean I'm still an adult goth let's be real um <laughs> so what do you think other kids your age could benefit from by watching a movie like this like what do you think is a good thing they could take away from watching this movie so it if you're like a girl and going through puberty like right now um don't be ashamed of it it happens to everyone even boys but they they make it weird <laughs> The girls don't. They just try to keep it secret, and that's okay, because that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't really want to tell anyone, because that's just weird. Um, But the message in it is kind of like, don't worry about what other people say. Do what you want, and don't be embarrassed that something new is happening to your body. Absolutely. And another question that I have is so this movie is set in the 1970s which is a decade that 
neither you or I were alive for. Um, did that make it hard to follow or did it not matter? No, uh, because I it didn't really matter because I knew like all the different stuff that happened, like with the films and the teachers and mm-hmm. all that stuff, like the houses, the like just everything, like mm-hmm. outfit, like I knew I knew it was like placed in like a time I wasn't around in so I was like I still understand this so that that helped like it helped a bit because I it tells me what it was like back then Mm -hmm. learning about this stuff than it is now yeah I mean so Harmony had never seen the movie and she didn't read the book so she didn't know that it was set in the 70s and as we were watching it she was kind of laughing and she's like man so many of these problems they have would be solved if they could just Google it on their phone, right? Um, Because they don't have that. So they're just kind of trying to figure it out in whatever ways that they can. Um, Do you think that it's helpful for your generation that you can Google things in your phone? Or do you still like to ask other people? I sometimes like to ask, like my friend Taylor, uh, I'm not going to share any personal information Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. because... uh, I, I, I'm not that kind of person, um, but I asked her about some things and she just like told me everything. And I like asking sometimes, like asking my friends and my mom, but Googling it just seems like it's okay because Google doesn't really tell you everything that's right. And when it shows the dates of like when that was published, like the answer, mm-hmm. you know, like it might have changed. Yeah, that's a really good point. The information is constantly changing. And the way that we, you know, talk about these sorts of things evolve as well. So that's that's a really good point. I'm glad that you're you're noticing that. Um, so my last question for you is if you were trying to convince somebody to watch this movie, what would you tell them? Uh I would tell them you you should really watch it because it tells you more about what growing up is like and finding out what is like finding out what you are who you are and like like all this stuff that you're doing it's just a good movie awesome so as we're winding down there's one more experience in this movie that we haven't talked about that i think is really really important to talk about and it is when margaret and janie go and buy sanitary napkins at the store mm-hmm. and the the just the devastation that the checkout boy is a boy and is having to like watch you buy oh, this that scene of just the slowest squeakiest conveyor belt i like that thrusted me back to a place that i had not felt in a very very long time because I had two phases of buying things like this at the store is that first I was like horribly embarrassed because Mm -hmm. I was, you know, very, very young. And then I got to a certain point where I was really defiant about it, where I would like lock eye contact with somebody and be like, yeah, I'm buying fucking tampons because I'm bleeding from my snatch right now. What are you going to do about it? It was very much that kind of behavior. Um, But then that got exacerbated as I got older and you had to start buying things like condoms Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, um, and this is like a cute little nugget for anybody who grew up where I did. um, 
the Walgreens where I grew up was housed by Miss Pearl, and Miss Pearl would absolutely call your ass to the carpet if you were buying condoms and you were really young. She'd be like, you know how to use that? Does your mama know you're using that? Like, she had no, like, okay, sure, like, you could make the argument, like, it's none of Miss Pearl's business what any of us are doing, and she should learn to keep her mouth shut. Like, sure, fine. But, like, I have so many, like, good memories of, like... <laughs> having to buy things from Miss Pearl and her just giving me judgmental looks of like, well, at least you're being safe, baby. That's all I care about. And mm -hmm. just like being so clearly upset that I'm having sex, but just being like, you're being safe. What, what, what am I really going to do about it? Yeah. Um, because I bought unlubricated condoms uh, for theater because we used to cover the mic packs with them because you can't get sweat on the microphones because they'll short out and die. So you cover them with unlubricated condoms. Okay. It's, Clever. Smart. It's very smart. Yeah. Um. So I had to buy those, and I just remember her looking at me and being like, "Baby, you you should just really get the ones with the lube." And I'm like, "Oh no no no, Miss Pearl, that's not what those are for. Like, these are for microphones." And she's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." <laughs> I'm so sure. Anyway, go back down that aisle, the ones in the blue box. And I'm like, "No no no, I promise you, these are for the microphones." And she's like, "Okay, baby, whatever you gotta say." And just like <laughs> that was her energy always. And I'm like, "Oh man," Ms. singing Pearl. into that microphone. All right. God, I love her so much. She was so great. <laughs> Um, and I'm very thankful that Miss Pearl was the one there because if I did have to buy like tampons or pads or whatever, she would always just be like, mm, you know, this chocolate's also on sale if you want that too. And I'm like, you know, I do want that. Miss Pearl, Pearl upselling. She okay. Miss Pearl used to also take like the display boxes of like Snickers or whatever and like cut a hole in it and wear it like a hat. Like, okay. She was the fucking coolest. Like, I loved her so much. Um, but yeah, she would always upsell me chocolate if she knew it was on my period, which ruled. Um, but when you're really little or like if you're doing this for the first time and like your parents aren't getting it for you, it is like super weird because there is like it, it's weird because if like you're buying toilet paper, right? You don't have like the, the notion of like, mm, I bet it's because you shit with that ass. Like nobody, like that's not a thought that you have. Mm -hmm. But if you're buying like pads or tampons, it's like, ah, uh, you're bleeding right now. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know why that's just how culturally it works, but that just is. So it's like this weird thing. So to watch them be because so uncomfortable, <sighs> I feel that in my soul. It's because everybody poops, not everybody bleeds. That's true. That's so, a very good point. There you go. At least you don't have to do these giant, gross 70s pads. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm thankful every day that I did not get my period in the 70s <laughs> because those things are awful. It's like a fucking couch cushion. It really, It's like a brick. Yeah. Like It looks like a TV remote. <laughs> it's terrible. It's the biggest ice cream sandwich wrapper I've ever seen. <laughs> They're so bad. Yeah. Oh, God. So awful. Um, But, you know, obviously, we, we do have to, to end this. And luckily... We end it on Margaret's terms. She, you know, is going to go off to camp, but she tells Moose that, you know, hey, you know, we should, I'm going to go to camp. And he's like, well, we should hang out when you get back. And it's her finally, you know, acknowledging, hey, I like this boy, not the boy that all my friends yeah. like and that I'm supposed to like. I like this boy. And Nancy's not around to judge her anymore. Nancy's not around to judge her. She's not really friends with Nancy anymore because, again, like your friendships that you have when you're a kid, like they they fleet sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, she makes amends with Laura. They became buds. And I love that. I think that's mm -hmm. very sweet. And then, yes, she does get her period finally. And, you know, mom is being really supportive. And she's like, let me get you these. I, I actually bought these just for you. And she's like, I've been practicing, so I'm already good. I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. which I think is so sweet. Proud moment. It's very, very sweet. And 
I don't know. This movie just makes me feel very good. It feels very nice and warm. And I love how unflinching it is about this experience and what it's like to be a preteen and why it's difficult. Um, I mean, this Lashem article, it's like, we see why it's important to be open with children about menstruation. Nancy's mom does nothing to soothe her when she gets her period, just gives her a pad. Nancy's crying. She has no understanding of her own body. Why are we so afraid to tell children about a natural bodily function that millions experience? There are girls as young as eight who start their periods and tweens should not be left in the dark or ashamed of something that is as normal as breathing. It's refreshing to see films showcase the significant part of tweenhood with such honesty. And this brings in something that was mentioned in the Judy Bloom Forever doc where a, a, a woman, but, but as a child, wrote to Judy and was like, I get nervous when I'm in the library and the boys go by the B section, like Judy Bloom section, because I'm afraid they're going to see something they're not supposed to see. Mm-hmm. And Judy writes back like, don't worry about the boys learning these things. I think it's a good thing. Boys should learn more about girls and girls should learn more things about boys because we all have to live on this planet together. And the more we learn about each other, then the less conflict we have or like however she put it. And I think that that is also so true is that these sorts of movies, while definitely are necessary and required validation for young girls, it's also really important for young boys to see this too, because this is a world that they're not going to experience. I mean, Obviously, we're speaking about, like, assigned male at birth here. We're speaking in generalities. Um, but, like, if the, if you're not somebody who is wired to have a period, this is, like, uncharted territory. And this is why I ended up having, you know, I think I've told this story on the show before, but I was in college with a guy who was, like, a sophomore in college. So, like, th- this dude can vote. Like, I, like, let me make that clear. He can vote on things. And I was talking about some guy being really shitty and stupid. And I made the offhanded comment like, yeah, and I bet he thinks that I piss and bleed out of the same hole too. And I just looked at my friend and just, just white, just wash over his face. And I watched him process that. And I was like, wait, did you really think that we peed and bled out the same hole? And he's like, well, yeah. You're like a bird. It's like the cloaca. Right. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Like you are. You are 20 years old. You well, can vote. Well, we also what? don't have comprehensive sex education things, and they tend to separate the boys and the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, it's all, a whole lot of problems. Yeah, there's so many problems. Like, and there's and the thing is, there are easy answers. We just don't want to fucking do them, um, which is really frustrating. So, I love that this movie exists. I hope that more people see it. I hope people continue reading Judy Bloom and you know, expand their their YA repertoire and mm-hmm. read more. <laughs> so on that note, I think that takes us out on Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret Harmony. She's asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? So many moons ago, we did a movie called Yes, God, Yes. Yes. And inevitably, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, coming down the pipeline, we'll be doing Saved. One, mm-hmm. of, one of our most requested films. Mm-hmm. Both of those films, as far as like young girls handling religion is concerned, um, they're much more negative. They uh, mm-hmm. they have a, a a fairly scorned view of religion. Mm-hmm. Judy Bloom doesn't have an agenda. 
No, she doesn't. Judy Bloom is just saying like, hey, here's some stuff that happened, you know? And I just think that that's nice because like, I'm a, I'm a fairly mean-spirited person. As soon as we start having stories of that, that focus too much on religion, I'm like, get really, really mad about them, particularly like, spe- specifically Christian and Catholic religions. Mm-hmm. And so I like have this like visceral response to like, yes, God, yes, even though I haven't rewatched it since we uh, did the episode on it like two years ago. But I don't with this. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really expertly written and it tells a really, really well made story and has really great characters. And mm-hmm. I just think it's lovely. It is. It's very lovely. And Kelly Freeman Craig like kind of did the impossible by making this an accessible film. Like, she deserves all the credit in the world. Obviously, Judy laid the groundwork, but mm-hmm. she made this translate to screen in a way that I think is so lovely and makes me very, very happy. Mm-hmm. And on that note, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. I'm not going to call it X. And I'm also on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. Oh, yeah. I'm also on Blue Sky. <laughs> I haven't used it in like a week. Yeah, it's fine. There's just not a lot going on there yet. It's Yeah. Eh. We've, we've been dealing with some stuff. Yeah. Which, speaking of, thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Yeah. So um, originally when we started plugging indie bands at the end of episodes, like it was, it was twofold. It was one people saying like, Oh, Hey, I really like that you introduced me to this band. I think the Sonderbombs rule. Um, and they do. And they're going back on tour after a, a bit of a COVID problem where we all got it at the exact same show. Mm-hmm. And that was unfortunate for everybody. That's why I sound like this. I didn't want to like front load it at the top. I figured y'all could tell. Yeah. But like we have COVID. Well, I don't feel good. I'm on the way out. I think I'm almost good. Yeah, I'm not. (laughs) Well, being in like an 87 degree room to record, this isn't helping. But uh, the other reason that I started doing these indie band shout outs at the end of episodes is because it's really hard out there to be like a touring indie musician, especially in a COVID world. Like the Sonderbombs had to like drive back from L.A. to Cleveland whilst being infected and then had to recover from that before they could go back out on tour so like getting sick means like a four-day drive that can just blow up everything it can ruin your entire tour it can like screw up your plans there's no there's no accounting or preparing for that and yeah like covid's a thing and like numbers are spiking again so we should all probably be a little bit more careful or at least stop acting like it's over yeah if just if you are going somewhere and it is a large venue, please fucking test yourself. Like people are going around asymptomatic and spreading it like wildfire. Like please be mindful of your fellow human, like protect your community. Think about those that are the most vulnerable because Harmony and I spent three years being excruciatingly careful to the point that we missed out on so many opportunities because we were not willing to be in a public space. And then we went to a relatively intimate gathering and I lost work for a week. Harmony lost work for a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't get to do a Patreon episode because I could not get off the couch because I was so weak. Yeah. Like... I mean, we're recording this while you're still sick. I'm still very sick, but I didn't want to take another week off after we just did when I had bronchitis. I yeah, so service. I went from bronchitis to COVID. That fucking blew. Yeah. Um. So please, 
please be mindful, protect yourselves, protect your community, protect the people that you love, protect these artists if you're supporting them. Just do your due diligence, wear a fucking mask, test yourself. That's that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, after our COVID PSA in August of 2023, um, hey, here's our band for this week. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they're a singer named Kara Jackson uh, and the album, Why Does the Earth Give Us People to Love? Uh, I, I needed I wanted to find something that was era appropriate for the 70s. So this is like a very poetic folk album, but like it's beautiful and somber and like the lyricism is unbelievably good. Um, some of my favorite songs are like No Fun Slash Party, uh, Dickhead Blues, Curtains and the title track. I like that these songs on this album take their time like. They get there when they get there. They're a little more freeform, like uh, almost in a way that like piano jazz often is. I think as the album was described uh, from one reviewer I saw, it was like, well, is it to better? Is it better to have loved than lost? Well, no, sometimes the love is better. Oh, that's that. that's kind of what the album is about. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of big feelings that are delivered in an extremely thoughtful way. And uh, I fully recommend this for anybody who... For anybody who's interested in like sad singer songwriter stuff. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I am. So one more time, who's the artist? That is Kara Jackson. Awesome. All righty, friends. That takes us out. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. Bobby, every woman has a period uh, uh, of time every month. Even mom? Bobby, if we're going to get through this, you cannot ask me questions like that. My bad. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.